0: Hello, wonderful boys and girls, and welcome to Avant-Garde Book Storytime. I'm Cherie Hardy, and I'm so grateful that you are listening. Today, I will be reading Schwamberg, The Man Who Built a Library. This book was written by Carol Boston Weatherford, and it was illustrated by Eric Velesquez. If you have the book, feel free to follow along. If you don't, it's not a problem. Get in a very comfortable place and just get relaxed and listen to Schramberg, the man who built a library. The American Negro must remake his past in order to make his future. History must restore what slavery took away. Those were the words of Arturo Schramberg. Prologue, bibliophile. Arturo Schramberg was more than a book lover, more than a mailroom clerk at Banker's Trust, where he supervised 11 white men, unheard of authority for a black man at the time. He recognized early on that history was not history unless it was complete from all angles. Like a detective, he hunted for clues and found facts affirming the role of African descendants in building nations and shaping cultures. Fellow book collector, Arthur Springard, noted that Arturo would approach an immense pile of apparently worthless material and unerringly find one or two treasures, which would have been lost to a less inspired collector. Arturo believed that those facts, once on earth, would speak loud and clear in the halls of knowledge daring another teacher to tell a black child that the Negro has no history. Time and again, through print, music, and art, Schromberg proved otherwise. On his lifelong quest, he was not just collecting rarities, he was correcting history for generations to come. He wanted the facts to reach the community and boys and girls in classrooms to teach them that black heritage knows no national boundaries and today the Harlem library bearing Schromberg's name boasts more than 10 million items, a beacon for scholars all over the world bringing to light past glories that Oturo always knew existed. 5th grade. Oturo Schromberg was born with a sense of wonder. As a boy in Puerto Rico, he shadowed the Baccaros, Cigar, cigar workers. These men pulled money together to pay a lector, to read aloud in the factory, newspapers, novels, speeches, and politics. Oturo took in the scent of the cured tobacco and the sound of the reader's voice. Thus, Oturo not only learned his ABCs, but also learned the written word. So, when his fifth grade teacher told him that Africa's sons and daughters had no history, no heroes worth noting, did the twinkle leave Oturo's eyes? Did he slouch his shoulders, hang his head low, and look to the ground rather than to the horizon? No. His people must have contributed something over the centuries. History that teaches teachers did not teach until they did. School children like Oturo would not learn of their own heritage, ignorance shackling them like chains. After the teacher dismissed the people's past, did the twinkle leave Oturo's eyes like a candle blown out in the dark? No, the twinkle never left. It grew into a spark. Genius. Where is our historian to give us our side? Oturo asked to teach our people our own history. Afro Puerto Rican, Afro Mariclano, born in 1874, young Arturo Schromberg began a lifelong quest. Still a boy, he took on the mantle of historian because he had to know, had to know the truth. In a history club, he noticed that the white youth seemed prouder of their heritage than the black members. Oturo read everything he could about his people, but he did not hurry. He let the facts simmer. True scholarship requires time and calm effort. He figured nothing worthwhile is done in haste. After all, there were ages to traverse. Lost for hours in books, Oturo was transported by Benjamin Banneker's Almanac to early America. Oturo studied all he could about this self-taught inventor, astronomer, and draftsman. He beamed as he read that Banneker accurately plotted a solar eclipse. Oturo could almost hear the tick-tock of Banneker's handcrafted wooden club. The first built in the new world, Oturo imagined Banneker counting off minutes, racing time to redraw plans from memory for the streets of Washington, D.C., after French architect Pierre Lafont walked off and carted his papers with him to Europe. Banneker reproduced them in only two days, the nation's capital, in two days, by heart. Tick-tock, tick-tock, where were the monuments to this genius? El Emigrante, the immigrant. When 17-year-old Oturo Schromberg immigrated to New York from Puerto Rico in 1891, he carried with him letters of introduction from cigar makers and from Jose Gonzalez Font, who owned a printing press in San Juan, where Oturo had worked as a typographer. Oturo presented the letters to Flor Baegra, an amateur book collector and staunch opponent of Spanish colonial rule. Oturo perused Viagra's photos and clippings about New York, New York's Puerto Rican community, and soon found the local tabaqueros. This time, he lived among them, sharing their activism and their allegiance to Cuban and Puerto Rican independence from Spain. In support of La Causa, the cause, Oturo joined political groups such as Las Dos Antillas, The Two Antilles, and wrote letters to the editor of the newspaper Patria under the pen name Guarionex. Newly arrived, Oturo sought to better himself, giving Spanish lessons while learning English in night school. Drawn to medicine and law, he pursued neither because as the story goes, his official school records were lost in a fire. Not even a letter from a former teacher was sufficient proof of his formal education. Kindergarten was all that he could, could be documented, so Arturo set aside dreams of a profession and toiled as a messenger and clerk at the law firm that was seeking to protect Johnson & Johnson's use of the Red Cross logo on its products. For that case, Arturo indexed and memorized thousands of pages of testimony. His recall of detail, extraordinary. The Book Hunting Bug. I wanted to find out, said Arturo Stromberg, what my own racial group had contributed. He could not get his hands on enough books. His curiosity about Africana, insatiable. Oturo had what he called the book-hunting disease. No one volume told the whole story, and no library specialized in the subject. So he hunted rare bookstores, poring over fragile pamphlets, pamphlets with torn covers and leather books with paper mites between pages. Most of what he brought early on came cheap, because white collectors consider it junk. Still, what he hunted was not easy to find, but Arturo knew what clues and markers to look for. Now and then, he happened upon a pride. In Phyllis Wheatley, the first African-American and third American woman to have a book of poems published, Arturo found not only a devotion to God and country, but also a biography as remarkable as her verse. Captured at age seven in West Africa, and named Phyllis after the slave ship on which she was cargo. She was sold to John Wheatley, but was sickly and thus never trained as his wife's servant. Poor in health, but rich in rare brilliance, Phyllis quickly mastered English and read the Bible. She studied religion and the classics and spoke several languages fluently. But Phyllis was most phenomenal as a poet. If only Arturo could have then a gull swooping and crooning above the waves as Phyllis crossed the Atlantic a second time, bound for London to promote her book, Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral, in 1773. If only that same year Arturo could have witnessed that stroke of the pen granting Phyllis her freedom. If only Arturo could have looked over her shoulder, seen her penning their praise poem, to George Washington during the revolution. Although she offered subscriptions for a second book, the final manuscript was never published or found, if only thought I could find that. Frederick Douglass. As Ochoa fanned the pages of Frederick Douglass's narrative, it was as if a breeze carried him to the riverfront plantation where sailboats first defined freedom for young Frederick. Like Arturo, Frederick loved the written word. He even broke the law against slaves learning to read. As Frederick escaped bondage, Arturo followed his trail from Maryland all the way to Massachusetts. And when Douglas warred against slavery, his speeches, agitate, 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 awoke Arturo to the power of the pen. With that aim, Douglas had rallied the abolitionist cause, winning pledges of support and thunderous applause. Arturo scanned Douglas's anti-slavery newspaper, The North Star. The publication motto rang true. Right is of no sex, truth is of no color. God is the father of us all, and all men are brethren. 10,000 volumes could not better define democracy. A printer's helper as a team, Arturo imagined Douglas setting metal tape and cranking the letter-press. A tall man with deep-set eyes and long woolly, a long woolly mane, Douglas went on to become the U.S. minister to Haiti. In his later years, he bought Cedar Hill an estate in Washington's Anacostia section, where he was deemed a sage. Frederick's name, thought Arturo, in every archive should reside. The words that Frederick Douglass wrote would keep his memory alive. Revolutionaries. As Schramberg's search went on, he bought not only books, but also art, letters, prints, and rare African cameos. His was a war to combat ignorance and shatter lies. He needed an arsenal for that. From the past, Arturo enlisted an army of exemplars. His boyhood hero was Toussaint Louverture, leader of the revolt that liberated slaves in Haiti. Later, Arturo purchased military orders signed by Louverture himself, a freed slave with property and money. He risked all to join a slave revolt. Just a generation after American independence, Louverture led a revolution that lasted 12 years and cost thousands of lives. His troops fought off first the French, then the British, and finally the Spanish before victory was won, and a black republic born Haiti. For colonies and countries founded on slavery, the Haitian Revolution was a hurricane. Whispers of Louverture's name made a slaveholders shudder. Contrary to popular belief, slaves did not rise up and not just sit in glorious liberation of Haiti. Arturo eventually traced the roots of rebellion to early America. He read the radical pamphlet that David Walker, a free black merchant published in 1829, an appeal to the colored citizens of the world, calling for slaves to rise up, a fiery tract that was banned in its day. Arturo studied the 1839 mutiny on the slave ship Amistad and the court case that followed. Some states soon outlawed outlawed anti-slavery literature and forbade blacks from learning to read. What did slaveholders slaveholders fear? In South Carolina, Virginia, Denmark Vesey and Gabriel Prosser planned uprisings and in Virginia, Nat Turner carried out his vision in 1831, insurrection brought together 70 blacks, slave and free, and left 57 whites dead. Arturo grieved in his hero's brave words. In his way, Schwamber was a revolutionary too. Three Elizabeths. Arturo first married in 1895 the same year he adopted the English version of his name, Arthur. Elizabeth Hatcher of Staunton, Virginia was his bride. She died young, leaving her husband to raise two sons, Maximo Gomez and Kinsley Gariannex. A third, Arturo Alfonso Jr. died in infancy. His second wife was Elizabeth Morrow Taylor, also from Virginia. From their union came two more children, Reginald Stanfield and Nathaniel Jose both boys lived in Virginia with their half brothers and their mother's mother it was common then for parents who worked in cities to send their children off to be raised by kin on visits to the South Arturo bristled at the color line when the second Elizabeth passed on he married another one Elizabeth Green they were blessed with three children Fernando Dolores, Marie, and Placidos Carlos. Despite their Spanish names, Schronberg wouldn't let his offspring learn his native tongue. They were Americans. Whitewash. In his quest for black glory, Arturo Schronberg navigated a maze of misinformation that stripped Africans humanity and branded them as less than to justify slavery. The system was based on skin color, superiority, and inferiority, and was necessary, argued aristocrats, to build fortunes and empires. Arturo suspected a conspiracy of fraud that aimed to erase all African history with bondage. Arturo saw that the historical record was colorblind, only when the best served greedy motives. So when genius was black, skin color was left out but Schramberg chased the truth and turned up icons whose African heritage heritage had been whitewashed. Arturo found African roots in the family tree of artist, ornithologist, and naturalist, John James Audubon. His masterpiece was the Book of Birds with watercolors, pastel, purion, charcoal, and pencils. He depicted North American birds in stunning, life-like poses. Yet, for all Audubon's fame, there was barely mentioned that he was born to a French plantation owner and a Creole chambermaid. As a boy, Arturo read the Three Musketeers. I used to lose myself in that book. He later wrote, and think I was fighting with Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. He memorized their mottos: "All for one, one for all." But he had no inkling that the author. Frenchman Alexandre Dumas was descended from slaves. Why had Arturo not learned that as a child? Arturo discovered that Russia had its black star too. The great poet, Alexander Pushkin, the father of that country's modern literature. His first work published when he was just 15. His great-grandfather was Abram Ganabal, who was kidnapped as a child in central Africa, served in the court of Peter the Great, and rose to become a general and an aristocrat himself. No wonder Pushkin was famed for fighting duels. Even German composer Ludwig van Van Beethoven had ties to Africa. He was often described as dark, a mulatto, or a moor, his mother was said to be a Moor, North African. Gifted beyond belief, Beethoven still composed after he'd lost his hearing. How could this maestro's African heritage have been muted? How could Oturo ever behold Beethoven's Fifth Symphony without hearing African drumming? All right, boys and girls, we will stop there. This will be part one of Schromberg, The Man Who Built a Library, written by Carol Boston Weatherford and Eric Valesquez. Stay tuned. I will be reading part two of this wonderful book. I hope you enjoyed this story, boys and girls. Take care and have a beautiful day.